Ag State of Mind, episode 98. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows. Today we go with part two of my conversation with my friend Michael DeSaw of the Vets and Ag podcast. And I'm going to preface this a little bit by apologizing for the abrupt ending of last week's podcast. Um, in breaking this into a two-part episode, this is the first time I've ever done that, and I should have done a little bit better editing. I should have ended with a little bit of uh, a continuation to be continued type message at the end of last week's podcast. I understand it, especially if you know you are listening to this some date in the future. It is quite uh, could be quite confusing. So um, apologies for that, and I appreciate your patience. Even though I am no longer a new podcaster, I still make new podcaster mistakes. So uh, appreciate your patience. Uh, this week's episode with the continuation is really cool with Michael because uh, he kind of turns the tables and starts interviewing me a little bit, which I think that's always uh, kind of something a podcaster just ki- uh, tends to do. So uh, it was really cool to talk to him and really cool that we kind of uh, had an audible here of, of sorts and uh, were able to chat uh, a little bit differently. So we pick up the podcast here with Michael asking me of the genesis of the Ag State of Mind podcast, how it started. So uh, really cool. Appreciate this and appreciate your patience again with me as I finish up this chat with my friend, Michael DeSaw. I've said this in podcasts, but I did, I have, I don't know if I like have really, I don't know if I've really said it on this podcast before. Uh, I might've hinted around at it. I've talked about it Mm -hmm. on other podcasts, but I don't know if I've ever made a direct reference to it on this podcast, even in the intro episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so what happened was it was about this time of year, two years ago, it was the Mm -hmm. end of July. My son was well, okay, well, back up. My wife wanted, my wife had a conference in Dallas or outside of Dallas. Uh, she drove down. I decided the weekend I was going to fly down and, and be with her for the night. And then we drive back home together that, uh, that Sunday. We still had hay on the ground, huh. which... I mean, it's just, a, it's something that, you know, I mean, it's, it, the weather was crappy that year, just pretty much like it has been the last few years, just raining a lot. And we hadn't got our hay up till late. You know, we had the county fair where we have our kids and have multiple animals at the county fair. And so I, we were still in the hay and it was left up to my dad, who's elderly and not in the best of health. And then my, at the time, 14 year old son, Levi. And uh, I said, all right, do what you can. Everything's going to be okay. I'll be home in a few days. You know, don't try to get into bigger rush to do anything, but you can work. Um, so I'm sitting in the hotel in Dallas. My wife's at the conference. I'm doing 
pretty much nothing, which is nice for once, you know, I'm sitting in a hotel relaxing, you know, much needed. And my son calls and he says, I'll just never forget this phone call. He'll say, he says the bailer's on fire. You know, it it must've been a, a, uh, something in a, in a, uh, uh, gosh, I can't even think of the language right now. I can't think of what a a bearing, a a bearing bearing, bearing. fire. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it just, it got too far and the, um, the fire extinguisher didn't work and it, setting up not only the baler on fire but he couldn't get it was too far gone i told him to get away and you know the tractor burned too yeah it was just it was a brand new baler brand new tractor you know it was it was my dad's but you know i mean it's still ours the way and you know i remember just being so now and back up even further is i've i've had a bout of i've struggled with anxiety my whole life and but i've taken I had taken some steps to get better at that point and I remember like I remember after all the dust had settled after everything was okay after all the stuff you know I kind of took a 30,000 foot view of the situation and realized how much better I had gotten and how something like that would have sent me in the total panic mode Mm. even just a few years earlier and realizing that, you know, if I can get better and if I struggled like this and got better, there's got to be other people like me, right? There's got to be people who have struggled with their mental health. And a lot of the anxiety had come from, you know, from my life in agriculture and, you know, the stress that's involved in that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's really like, I had no idea. Like, I knew I wanted to do something. I, I, I and I arrived at a podcast a short time. I think it was on the drive home. We decided, uh, mm-hmm. Carrie and I talked and decided that's a great place for me to try to start. And I had no idea how to start a podcast, like no idea. Right. Right. None. Uh, didn't know what I needed. Didn't even know, like, I mean, I didn't even know enough to be, overwhelmed by what I needed to do. That's how little I knew. Um, I reached out to my uh, now friend, Clay Conry, who has the Working Cows podcast, because that was pretty much the only podcast I listened to regularly. And, you know, he was so gracious with his time and his knowledge and helped me out with getting it started. This is what you need. This is how you need to do it. Uh, These are the websites and courses you need to look at. And, you know, just a little bit from there. And uh, Tim Hamrich, who uh, has the Future of Agriculture podcast. I I know Tim. Talked about Tim. Great guy. Uh, great guy. He helped me out so much too. Just what do I need to do? I, t- I would text him. I say, hey, man, can I have a phone call with you on my drive mm-hmm. home from work? Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, sure, man. Just whatever. And, you know, so those two were so helpful to me. And uh, I'll, I'll be forever grateful for the help that they given me um, in starting my podcast. So, you know, that was, uh, uh, I'm not sure I've talked all the way about it on this podcast. So I appreciate you asking that question. Yeah, no, I'm, a, I'm curious. It's, it's a great story. And um, even, even if it is mine, <laughs> yeah. um, because I turned into something that was a, a bad thing for me, something that I struggle with and I turned it into something good. And I think that's something that is, you know, it's, it should be done more of, you know, not to pat myself on the back or anything, but I, I am proud of it. I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of being able to do this and all the help that I've gotten along the way. 
it's uh, it's been a really incredible thing, and I'm I'm happy that it's helped so many people. So was it the stress of the agricultural profession that was sort of the catalyst for some of the anxiety that mm. you have dealt with, and then this podcast is a form of therapy for it? Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. It didn't start out that way. Yeah was the was the goal to just try to highlight any uh, to to give a platform for folks who may also be struggling with the stresses and anxiety tied to you know production agriculture yeah or was there sort of a different goal so it was a both it was to it was like to talk to so i i was going to start out talking to like i want to start out talking to professionals and people like that but eventually give it a platform for people to talk and share their stories. Mm. And so it's kind of turned into that. Uh, and it's more now it's more of a, it's become more of a platform for people to share their stories now with occasional like professionals and extension agents done about, right. you know, things that they have, you know, new tools and such, you know, I've got, in a couple, uh, maybe by the time this is out, we we'll, we had Shelby Powell from Southwest Ag Center, who's down in your part of the country. Okay. She's uh, yeah. I think in Tyler, Texas, and okay. uh, which is a little bit east, north and east of you, I guess. And she is they're doing some really great thing with safety and integrating mental health and safety in agriculture. And uh, mm. you know, so I mean, that just a small example of the people that just are really interested in the podcast. And as you know, like being one of the greatest things when you are a podcast host is people reaching out to you and wanting to talk, right? It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to articulate what that means when somebody, and it's, I'm, I was going to ask you if there was a relationship between perhaps guests that struggle with some of the stresses of ag if they have a hard time articulating their stories uh, because in the veteran community, there's just kind of the sense of you don't really talk about the things that you do well. And there's the sense of humility that comes along. And so they often have a hard time describing the positive qualities that they bring. Yeah. And one of the ways that I have found to get them to do that is just giving them an opportunity to tell their story, stories from their experiences and if you kind of know what you're looking for or what you're listening for, you can tease out of those stories, these qualities that they bring and the things that they have displayed that maybe they haven't even noticed in themselves or maybe folks who might have siloed or categorized the veteran community as one thing can perhaps see them in a different light. So I'm wondering if in your, in the guest lists that you've had and in the interviews that you've done, if, you know, that particular community also struggles with telling their story and if you found a methodology that you use that works well. You know, it's, that's a good question because I haven't really thought about that. Um, all I can say is every person that has come on has brought incredible value and has added to the the ethos of that is the podcast person i always like the person that i 
always go to thinking about is Nathan Brown, my friend, my buddy, one of my best friends right now. Him and I have never met in person, believe it or not. Mm. He lives in Ohio, mm. but he has he was a guest on the podcast, but you know, more than that, he's a friend and someone I text back and forth with a lot. And you know, he's a just a farm boy from he's a first generation farmer too, but you look at him okay. and he's like, he's a farm boy from Ohio. Like, I mean, that's he looks the part, you know what I mean? Sure. But to hear the things that come out of his mouth are incredible. And I think that's a big thing for me is to get people like Nathan who are that like familiar voice, that familiar face, you know, he, he to me, Nathan just looks like a farmer mm. and to get him to say the things that he says and to talk about, you know, we're in this together. We are, you know, it's okay to struggle and it's okay to talk about it and say these things that you wouldn't think would come out of uh, such a, a tough guy's mouth. Yeah, that to, to find those places like that. And I don't have a methodology necessarily, mm. other than I am good at conversating with people. I'm, I, I do make, I, I, people do feel comfortable talking to me and that's something I take pride in and something that I'm appreciative that people are so willing to share their stories with me. Describing your description of Nathan kind of reminds me of, I, I think that in much the same way, there's often stereotypes associated with veterans. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, there's stereotypes associated with farmers mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, you know, maybe it's one that is perhaps less intelligent, or it's one that you know is very machoistic, or you know, that you know isn't good at technology, yeah. right? And in much the same way that all people are different, right? all veterans are not treated equal, right? All farmers are not treated equal. And the only way that you can begin to unpack these things is to just have a genuine conversation and be willing to listen to the things that they say. And you'll be tremendously surprised at what they'll shock you with, you know, with their intellect and with their Mm -hmm. innovation and their, abilities to solve problems and I was just you know struck by that again when because it feels so intuitive to me right as both a veteran as a a smallholder farmer as somebody that deals a lot in the technology and the investment space like I I I think I understand these two communities pretty well Mm -hmm. but to hear Rachel from Farmer Veteran Coalition kind of describe her evolution of dealing with the veteran community. I mean, she came in with the sense of this perception and to hear her kind of describe how quickly it dissolved and how she recognized that these were compassionate, intelligent, creative, you know, problem solving people, men, women. I mean, they deal with the transgender community as well. I mean, you name it. and, And there are, folks of different persuasion and, you know, wherever operating in in this space. And, you know, you don't know what they can bring to it until you have that conversation. But if you stop people from having those conversations, that becomes a real problem, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, the conversations have to be had. And 
And that's why that's what that's what's great about these podcasts about podcasts like yours and like mine, like so many that are so and that's what's that's what's really great about uh, podcasts is because they can get as specific as you want to get right, right. you want to talk about vets and ag go oh i got no podcast this guy mike has a podcast that i that you right. can listen to you want to hear about mental health and ag well let's talk about jason has this podcast you know i mean it can get so specific and that's great because you're you can find that conversation that you really want to hear and that's what's so valuable about this medium is that it's just kind of takes a, you know, takes all the blinders, takes all the filters off. You can just hear real raw conversations. You know, like I said, we're having this conversation right now. Nobody's listening live. So we're having it just a conversations between two guys with similar interests, but it's going to, people are going to listen to this and hear that real conversation. And that's when they take away from it because of their familiarity and their relatability to it. And it's it, it, the the podcast community is also one of mutual support, right? Mm -hmm. You yeah. don't have the same sense of kind of competition between podcasts that even if they cover the same genre or they talk about some of the same things that you have in other areas, right? There's this openness in the community where you have each other on and you talk about what each other are doing. And it, I think that's just a unique part of, this particular form of content and communication that I think will only become more of the preferred method of information sharing and news and et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree that it's like, it's, it's how people get their information because it's so simple and so you can find whatever you want um but it's also safe you can only, you can listen to it in this uh, nobody has to know to what you're listening to mm. I mean, it's just it's a really interesting th thing it, it can be totally personalized to you have you ever had guests on that have talked about the sociological or psychological connections between mental health and agriculture has somebody ever sort of put those science dots together for you hmm i mean we hint around a lot it i mean i do talk to clinical psychologists a lot involved in agriculture yeah. you know there's 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 the first person i talked to is val farmer he's been on the podcast a couple of times he's like one of the originals mm. in this field i talked to dr holly roberts out of university of nebraska medical center we talked, mm -hmm. but I, I don't know if we actually get down to the core psychological connections. I don't know if we do that, but that's a really interesting thing that I think would be interesting place to explore. Have they ever described this relationship in, in a different way than what you and I are now? The relationship between mental health and ag, have they ever kind of described it in a, a unique psychological way maybe not one that's based in on medicine so to speak but one that's a different approach perhaps uh, no i don't Just know curious. i don't I, I don't know if they really have or not so they do recognize that mental health in ag is something that is unique and because of the uniqueness of the work the uniqueness of the connection you know a lot of times a doctor doesn't have the connection and the 
oh, what's the, what am I looking for here? The, the clinical relationship. Yeah. And he doesn't, and he doesn't live at the hospital. That's yeah, not, good point. It, it's not the part. And I think that's a big part of why we are so connected with it. And th this is people in production agriculture, right? Right, right. You know, people living on family farms, you know, there's not a, you don't hear about, oh, I'm a sixth generation civil engineer. Um, mm. a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, oh yeah, this is a family, this is a family law firm. It, you know, it, it, that's a, I think that's a really interesting component because there's a, so much blending of what's family and what's business. Mm. And mm. I think that's a big component of why there is such a interesting and unique connection of mental health to agriculture and how it's, um, how it's discussed because of that deep rooted connection to the work and yeah. to everything. So I'll, I'll throw this, I'll throw this one by you and see if any of this may resonate with you, given some of those conversations that you've had with clinical psychologists. And I do want to comment on your not seeing six generation civil engineering firms, but I wanted to, to get this out there before I lost it. I had a conversation with a, a former army ranger veteran who runs an organization out of central Georgia called stag vets. And he's got somewhat of a, a scientific background. He did some necropsy work, which is kind of the dissection and autopsy of animals at the end of their life for medical purposes. So he started some of his career there. He had a somewhat long career and difficult career in the Rangers with, you know, five or six deployments. Um, he lost several friends and that's what their, their, one of their farms now is based or is named after a Ranger friend of his who was killed. But in the conversation, he talked about something that he called agrocognitive behavioral therapy. And he described it like this. He said, okay, so imagine Mike, you know, you, you're a Marine or you're a Ranger and we have been training you for decades to in one instance, dehumanize the enemy, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the vocabulary that we use, the targets that we shoot look like people. It's all designed to make the task of having to kill somebody easier if it ever comes to fruition to pass for you. Mm -hmm. we, we train you to put aside the emotions that come from the death of a friend in combat so that you can accomplish your mission and you can help the rest of your unit survive that situation. Mm. And we do that iteratively. We do it intentionally and we do it over the course of a long period of time. So we train out of the veteran a lot of emotion, we right. train out empathy. And so when they leave, they don't, no one ever trains them to get that back again. Uh. So one of the things that he described, that he described was you know, they do a lot of work with obviously veterans who are struggling with mental health issues. They do work with veterans who are struggling with their marriage. And they do that by using nature as the method of education. Mm. And one of the ways that he described was, look, you are now in charge of this piglet. This is your piglet from birth until we harvest it. You're responsible for every aspect of it. Feed, water, nourish, you change the hay out in the, in the pen, everything. And you, through that caring, you relearn some of the same emotions 
parts that you had suppressed or that had been trained out of you over the course of your military career. And you take that all the way through to the confrontation of maybe one of the hardest things that you had to deal with, which was the death of a loved one. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe that death occurs at your own hands, right? In, in, in the way that you, know, you take that animal's life in order to you know, feed your family in much the same way that the enemy may have taken the life of your friend. So it's a very personal re relationship and confrontation of, of some of those emotions that you may have had to put aside. But I had never thought about this relationship between training this idea of dehumanization and then not training back the sense of humanization, right? And, and emotion and empathy and love and nurturing again. And his idea of using what happens in nature as the methodology by which to retrain this was pretty interesting. I don't think the science is quite there yet. I, I know that he's just sort of starting this thought, but it was really fascinating for me to have him describe that. And I wanted to just run that by you. That's really interesting. That never occurred to me before. No. It was, it was a great thought. That's a like an interesting circle there. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, out of necessity, a veteran, uh, so a, a combat soldier has, there has to be the dehumanization of mm -hmm. taking someone's life because of the, the realness of that. And to, to complete a mission, you have to deal with death almost as just a, as an expected and regular occurrence. But on the backside of it, it is not going to, it's, it's, it's hard because you're still a human, right? You still are going right. to have to deal with the emotions at some point. And it's interesting that they brought a life in, you know, to take care of a life, but also har the harvesting part of it and to like kind yeah. of connect all of that. Very interesting. I find that very, very interesting. And, and I, I hope that that kind of continues because I think that's, uh, that could be something that they're onto there. It just, it, to me, it, it cannot seem more. It's almost chilling, into, right? Like to think right? about. Yeah. That this, that, that, I mean, of course. Yeah. Right. Of course. Right. Like, wait a minute. There's no way that I think this shouldn't make sense. And I am fascinated to see the science behind that or to follow the science behind it and to see what kind of happens. I mean, it, again, it goes all the way back to the Legionnaires. And they're right. you know, post-combat service in agriculture to post-combat service in agriculture today. I mean, you can kind of, I think, trace these relationships back to, you know, generations and generations prior to that that have intuitively kind of stumbled on this re-education through agriculture and, and nature again with this particular community that man it, it was just a phenomenal thought 
that he that John yeah. described and one that I just wanted to share with you. No, that's incredible. And it's, you know, how fitting to what, you know, to kind of mold, blend our our podcast together. I find that very, very interesting. And I hope that there's continued work in that because I think it's, uh, like you say, of course, that that's, that's would be a right. A, a right way. So, yeah. I wonder why there are no sixth generation civil engineering firms and maybe there are, but yeah, there might you mentioned be, that, but, but people I just don't, you know, it's not something you hear, you know, you hear like, Oh, I'm an eighth generation. I mean, it's something like the more, the better, you know what I mean? Because of how hard it can be, but like, yeah, we don't hear a lot about that in other, other professions, other careers. And I don't know. I wonder why that is. You know, the I think a big part of it is the connection to the land. You know, my dad always said is, you know, the thing about land is they just, you don't, they don't make any more of it. Yeah, God's not making any more yeah, of it. Yeah, I right. mean, it's there. Right. And, uh, you know, it's an irreplaceable resource. And, you know, so I think that has a big, big part of it, you know, the that this family can be on this same piece of ground for X amount of generations and X amount of years and, you know, continue that into the future. And because it, it's so hard to do, um, not saying that it, obviously it's hard to do in other, again, I right. think it goes back to the family and the importance of family that is, that is ag in agriculture. I think that's a big part of it. So I, in, to me, that's absolutely one side of the coin. The other side of coin, the other side of the coin is the recognition that a lot of farmers today are struggling with succession. Yep. They're struggling with what happens to that land and why that particular or these particular generations aren't interested in it anymore. Right. And the end of that kind of error, I can imagine is just heartbreaking sure. for that previous generation after if you have a run like that, five, six, seven yeah, generations. Yeah, and then what if you are the last generation? Yeah. You know, how's that, like that sense of response, that's a big part of it too. You know, and we talk about that a lot and I've heard people talk about it and, you know, but the thing about it is uh, just because you were the last, they didn't, they didn't farm, the, like they didn't farm in the climate, in the, you know, the situation that you did. You know, so, I mean, I think that's a big part of like getting people to be okay with it is they didn't face the problems you faced and, you know, it doesn't make you less of, or, or, or not as good of, it's just, you just, in, they didn't have In what situation. way, so, in what way that the new generation doesn't or didn't face some of the same. So I think a big part of it is the, the cost, you know having to mitigate the cost, the cost of machinery, the cost of land, the Got cost it. of inputs. Yeah. I think it's a big part of things, you know, taxes, you know, estate planning. There were so many things that were a succession was easier. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I shouldn't say is easier, maybe simpler. Um, yeah. You know, but there's, you know, you get a, so you say you farm in a place that's close to, close to an, uh, an urban area. So let's say like for your sake, somewhere an hour outside of San Antonio, that's pretty rural, but you know, the, the city's always expanding and you're having to face, you're having to face farming, running cattle on, on a piece of ground that 
could be very well used for housing development in very yeah. short time. And you're having to yeah. compete with that. For me, I live an hour outside of our hour and 20 outside of St. Louis. And I, what I face is having to farm up against people who it's not necessarily the city is expanding, but the people from the city are coming out here and they're paying X amount of dollars over right. market price right. for pasture ground um, that you're wanting to try and make a living on doing where they're just trying to have something for a hobby place. That's hard to compete yeah. with. You know, there was a place right here that we wanted, we looked at buying possibly. We had no chance at it because a, an owner of a, of a big construction company in St. Louis paid thousand dollars an acre over market value for it mm. and put in a big barn, a, a big lake, you know, it's a party place for them. You know, it's where they have, yeah. you know, they have fireworks there every 4th of July. You know I mean? It's one of those kind of things and you know, more power to them. You know, I can't fault them for doing that, but you know, it makes it hard for people. It makes it hard. It makes it harder, you know? So, I mean, there are certain pressures that, that are unprecedented in this current agriculture climate. Yeah. When, when you talk to, to other farmers and you talk to your neighbors, how are they dealing with succession? I mean, you've got a 16-year-old son now that's mm -hmm. bailing 70 round bales a day. I mean, how are you talking to him about succession? Well, he's seen it in real time because my dad's at the end of his life. And we're he's seeing what... Um, what's kind of happening in our, in our, I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest of five siblings and, oh, wow. you know, he is seeing that, like we were talking about later or earlier, land is a, it's a fixed resource. You know, yeah. there's now what you do with that land, you can make that land more or less productive, but that actual, those number of acres are finite, you know? you can't change that. I mean, you can always buy more, but that's like, you don't necessarily, you can't multiply that. So he's seeing, I think we're seeing that play out. Like, you know, my dad owns 2,500 acres and he, you know, this generation, our generation is going to, that's going to get split up between us. And then, yeah. you know, it goes down the line, you know, so eventually, so we're going to have to do something, you know, something along the line that you're, there's going to have to be somewhere where something happens different to make it go on. And, you know, I think just, I think the big thing about it is being really intentional with who's, who's going to be involved who's going to be who's mm -hmm. going to be here who's not going to be here and in what capacity and it's complex conversations you know and there right. needs especially to be, as one of five yeah exactly and there needs right. to be mediators and i'm not saying my family's doing it perfect because we're not and you know hmm. but uh there's uh there needs to be mediators there needs to be people who's in the middle there you know because it's uh it's something that's complex has it, has it ever been i mean has not transferring it down to subsequent generations is that even an option for a family like yours mm. it may be in smaller parcels right 2500 divided by what six you know that it's going to be a little different in the way it looks and operate but has it ever has the conversation ever come up where maybe it doesn't stay in the meadows family mm -mm. nope yeah nope nope yeah that's right yeah no and i don't think you know and i think that's probably the 
the comp, I think that's pretty much across the board there. I mean, very seldom, but you know what? Sometimes it might should be, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and we talk about this with a lot of different people where, you know, maybe it's not, maybe farming is not the best thing for someone and let's mm. do it for somebody else. You know, it's a, it's a complex, you know, and that's a hard conversation to have with people don't want to have that conversation because they don't, they don't want to let it go. But sometimes that might be the best. Let somebody else do it. You know, um, oh, it's hard. That would be, that would be, you talked about the, the owner of the construction company that came out of St. Louis and paid a thousand bucks more per acre for that adjacent property, just to kind of build a retreat on it. It's hard to describe to, I think maybe somebody that doesn't have family land or that isn't actively working on it, why you wouldn't make a decision to sell part or some yeah. of 2,500 acres, a thousand dollars above market value per acre, why you wouldn't do that. Yeah. But isn't that like the, if the, it was the conviction else. by which you just described that conviction, you just described it was hmm, no, yeah. nope. It was like, yeah, of course it wasn't even a convert. It's not even an issue yeah. or question. Isn't that interesting? Because we, I, I don't know where that comes from. I don't either because it's, but it is very interesting potentially we could be set up for generations for life. Oh, right. Financially. Financially. For sure. You know, yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we sell yeah. that potentially to someone very, you know, there's, let's say there's six people in St. Louis that are just the same wanting something just like what we, you know, on each parcel we have here. And that would we, go, it would go like that. Yeah. You could sell that. If it was anything else, easily. if it was anything yeah. else, we wouldn't even think about it. We'd sell and go do something else. But there is such a connection. Hmm. There's such a, there's such a almost obligation. You know, you feel in it to me, like I'm looking out at my ground here behind my house out our window. And I'm just like, I'm in awe of its beauty. And I just like, could not imagine not having this. And I don't, hmm. it, and there's a, there's a certain thing about something being priceless and I, I truly think that it is, you know, and it's, 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 it's a hard thing to, to really describe. There's a quality of life aspect mm -hmm. to it that sure. And that you can't, that you can't put a price tag on, especially when that quality of, of life relates to the health and well-being and stability of your wife exactly. and, your four, and your four sons, and you I, know, and of course you can't put a price on that my wife would, would not want to be the married to the man that, that I would be living in a subdivision. I promise oh, you that. I, yeah. You know what I mean? Like she wouldn't want <laughs> to be married tried, to me. I have done that and <laughs> no, sir. Yeah. Yeah. She wouldn't want to be married to me. And you know, so I mean, what's that worth? You know, what's that worth? Right. What's that peace of mind worth right there? You know, I mean, and, and then to raise our kids this way, I mean, there's uh it's just, it's there, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. And I, I don't think you could, I don't think there's anything really like it. It's very unique in that. It's funny. You mentioned that when, when I, right after I got out of service, right after I got out of the service, before we left for South America, my wife and I and our we had two sons at the time where I had come from it was what I had generally understood it was where I thought all of the opportunities were post-service and that I could you know 
develop and and grow as a business and it, it it's hard to describe it just didn't feel didn't feel right i didn't like who i was my wife didn't like who i was she grew up on a small farm here in northeast texas which is where we are today and she said let's just go back there and i said okay and we never looked back i, I cannot imagine now having being where I am today and what I do for a living and the life and the quality of life that my, my four sons have, mm. I can't imagine that being somewhere else. Right. And everybody, you know, feels differently about that. And that's not at all to say that that's not the right place for some people, but I, I knew for me and for our family, it wasn't. And I don't know how I knew that. Mm -hmm. I just did. And your family's lucky that, you know, you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's a great place, right? Yeah. I love it. Well, man, we've been on here for a while. So, uh, um, I, uh, I'll let you go. It's, uh, <laughs> I didn't realize the time it was. I know it's crazy, sorry. but I, I, we could, no, don't be sorry. I love it, man. This is great. Like, I, and I want to do this again because we have a lot to talk about. Like, I just feel like you and I great. have something it's there's something there's something that we we share some common ground and there's we can have a lot of conversation so let's let's keep this channel of communication open that's i because sure. i want you back on the podcast because you have so much to offer and i'm super excited that you know about this friendship that you and i are are, are forging here because yeah it's uh it's really cool i'm there now i'm there man and and to the extent that you run across you know the veteran community military spouses of the veteran community, those who support it, man, I'd love to open those conversations up for sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, anybody who's a veteran, I tell them that there's two podcasts I tell them about. There's the military veteran dad podcast that has my friend Ben Kaloy is, uh, runs. He was a big part in helping me get me started. And then I tell him about yours. <laughs> I tell him about the vets and ag podcast. So, uh, oh, cool. you know, so no matter what I tell them about those awesome. two podcasts. So awesome. That's uh, great. Where people find it. Uh, it's on most of the major podcast players. You can go to the website, agdconsult.com and there's a link in the upper right for podcasts. You can find all the episodes there. All right. Cool, man. Well, I really appreciate it. Appreciate your time tonight. This was fun. We'll definitely do it again. My pleasure, Jason. I really, I really like what you guys are doing. I, I would, I'm curious to continue to follow this story of, and the relationship between mental health and agriculture. So keep trucking, man. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week. <laughs>